Pray with me, please. Lord, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Amen. Nearly one year ago now, I set myself to the task of preaching a series of sermons on the Ten Commandments. I will tell you that while that task has not been easy, nevertheless, it has been a great blessing to me to dig deep and to search out the treasures contained in this portion of God's Word. And I will tell you that while you may not have always agreed with everything that I've said in these sermons, nevertheless, your response has been encouraging. So many of you have written or called or spoken words of thanks for the opportunity to wrestle with the tough sometimes even controversial truths contained in what I choose to call the ten for our time. Now, I want you to understand that right at the very beginning of all this, I knew that I would not take the commandments in order, nor would I preach the sermons on successive Sundays. Instead, I determined that I would preach them as either inclination or circumstance dictated. And that is precisely what I have done. However, right from the very beginning, I knew that the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet, would be the commandment which I would consider last. You see, if the first commandment has the authority of priority, then the last commandment has the authority of finality. The first nine commandments tell us to be careful about what we do. But this tenth commandment tells us to be careful about what is in our hearts. I would suggest there is even a sense in which this tenth commandment actually sums up the meaning of the nine which preceded. Uh, check them off with me, and let me show you what I mean. The first commandment says, Thou shalt have no other gods. Covetousness tempts us to give possessions, not God, the top priority in our lives. The second commandment says, Thou shalt not make any graven image. Covetousness tempts us to pursue impurity in life rather than purity. The third commandment says, Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Covetousness tempts us to dishonor God's name by being discontented with what God gives us in life. The fourth commandment says, Remember the Sabbath day. 
Covetousness tempts us to gain an extra advantage on the competition by working on the Sabbath. The fifth commandment says, Honor thy father and thy mother. Covetousness tempts us towards selfishness, thus keeping us from caring about others, particularly those who are older. The sixth commandment says, Thou shalt not kill. Covetousness, or the desire to gain something for yourself, is all too often the motive for killing. The seventh commandment says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Covetousness tempts us to pursue improper relationships. The eighth commandment says, Thou shalt not steal. That is covetousness put into action. The ninth commandment says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Covetousness tempts us to lie in order to gain something for ourselves. And so you see, the authority of the Tenth Commandment rests in the fact that it condemns that attitude of the heart, that inner desire and motivation, which prompts all of the evils of which the other commandments speak. That is why I chose to deal with this Tenth Commandment in the tenth sermon in this series called The Ten for Our Time. Now, I want to approach this commandment by posing and then attempting to answer three questions. What is the definition for covetousness? What is the indication of covetousness? And what is the correction to covetousness? One question at a time, please. First question, what is the definition for covetousness? I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but so often when we refer to human sins, we allude to them using different parts of the body. For example, when we talk about lying, we think of the tongue. When we talk about envy, we think of the eye. When we talk about gluttony, we think of the mouth. In fact, the Latin word for throat is glutus. When we think about anger, often we use the image boiling blood. When we speak of pride, frequently we picture in our minds a puffed-up chest. Well, by the same token, covetousness is frequently portrayed by the hands because covetousness is a greedy, grasping spirit. Covetousness, you see, is an inordinate desire to possess something or someone. Now, the key word there is the word inordinate. Simple desire is all right. In fact, it is very good. 
It is inordinate desire, improper desire, which is not so good. But that is the very reason that there is a lot of confusion about this subject of covetousness. I remember that the great St. Francis Xavier once said uh, that he had heard thousands of confessions in his priestly career, but he never once heard anyone confess to the sin of covetousness. I wonder if that's true of us. I mean, my guess is that you've prayed thousands of prayers in your life. But how many of those prayers have been focused upon the reality of a covetous spirit in your own experience? I think there is great confusion, you see, about this matter of covetousness. And so we need to be clear at this point. Simple desire is good. In fact, all of us are human beings. All of us have certain desires, motivations, impulses, all of which are built into us by God. In fact, the Bible says that we are to desire to excel, to exceed, to advance, to gain in life. The Bible declares that we are to desire those things which are of true worth and value in life. Simple desire is good. It is inordinate desire, improper desire, which is so deadly. Notice, please, that the Tenth Commandment says, Thou shalt not covet anything that is thy neighbor's. There's the clue. In other words, if you desire to have a roof over your head and to share that with others, that is a healthy desire. If you desire to work hard and build a business and employ others in that business, that is a healthy desire. If you desire to work in partnership with nature to produce that which is good and nourishing and is a blessing to the earth and the people of the earth, that is a healthy desire. However, if you desire that which is evil, if you desire something which belongs to someone else, if you desire something so much that you are willing to do anything to get it, if you desire that which is wrong with such a passion that it eats away at your own soul, then that is desire which has turned deadly. That is covetousness. And on the basis of that understanding of covetousness, Surely you would agree with me, the fact is, covetousness is one of the truly besetting sins of our time. Second question, what is the indication of covetousness? Well, I will tell you honestly that I think that covetousness manifests itself in a whole variety of ways in our human experience these days, but I would suggest that the most obvious way 
is through what I would call compulsive consumerism. We, you and I, are blessed to live in the single most affluent nation in all of the history of the world. Yet, how often that blessing turns into a curse. You see, we are told on every hand that we are to engage in acquiring things. This compulsive consumerism, we are told, is the secret of happiness. And as a result of that, all too often, we fall into the trap of engaging in a firestorm of buying and getting and holding and clutching, forgetting that this consuming, compulsive, acquisition of things and possessions actually enslaves us. Here, dear friends, is what is true. Things destroy freedom. Oh, we think we own things not true. They own us. Oh, at first, when we acquire these things or possessions, we are filled with joy that we possess them. But before very long, our possessions start to possess us. Before very long, our possessions start to deliver commands to us. Commands like, press me. Patch me, paint me, polish me, prune me, plaster me. And before we know it, we are working for our possessions. In order to maintain them and to keep them, we become possessed by them. And when we get tired of that, we toss those possessions aside and we begin to desire other possessions, and the whole cycle begins all over again. The desire becomes more and more insatiable. I see it so often. Tricia and I, on the occasion of our marriage, received as a gift from a friend an absolutely lovely Lalique crystal vase. In the 40 years of our marriage, that Lalique vase has become a cherished possession. It occupies a place of honor in our home. Now, I remember a time a few years back when Trisha and I were invited to a palatial home. When we entered the door and stepped into the foyer of that magnificent home, we were confronted with a large table in the foyer and shelves lining the walls of the foyer. And that table and those shelves contained what appeared to me to be every piece of crystal Lalique ever created. 
And it dawned on me in that moment that when you have them all, no one of them has any particular value. Mark this down. Conspicuous consumerism is an exercise in futility. Compulsive acquisition usually is a cover for spiritual poverty. The fact of the matter is, money can't buy you love, and possessions can't buy you happiness, and things can't give you a sense of meaning in life, and inordinate desire can't get you into the kingdom of heaven. Frankly, the opposite is true. I remember the day a man came into my office demanding that I call his sister on the phone and express my deep distress about the way the sister was handling an inheritance matter in the family. This man was demanding more than the will provided for him. When I refused to do it, he became enraged. He said, I'll see my sister in hell. And with that, he stomped out of my office and slammed the door. Well, I don't know if he's going to see his sister in hell or not. But I can tell you this. At that moment, he was in hell. You see, covetousness dishonors God, dishonors others, dishonors ourselves. That's why it is so deadly. And that's why I think the bottom line of the Ten Commandments reads, Thou shalt not covet. Question number three. What is the correction to covetousness? Let me put it to you straight. The only cure for covetousness is conversion. The only way to eliminate greed in the human heart is regeneration. The only way to break the grip of a grasping spirit is to be born again. The only way to overcome deadly desire is to come to Jesus Christ. I learned that from Paul, from the great apostle Paul. I don't know if you know this or not, but covetousness was the toughest sin that Paul ever had to deal with. He says it himself in Romans chapter 7. Sometime it would do you good to sit down on your own and read through the verses of Romans chapter 7 and go on to the first verse of Romans chapter 8. There Paul says that covetousness was like a great serpent wrapped around his heart. And then he says, when he confronted the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet, that law provoked his sin. 
that serpent, he says, began to tighten and twist and writhe and strike. You know, that's the way evil is, isn't it? I mean, whenever we find ourselves tempted with that which is wrong, there is something down inside of us that says that's the very thing that we want to do. I like to say it like this. The grass is always greener on the other side of the law. In other words, when we encounter a thou shalt not, there is always something inside us that says, but that's exactly what I wish to do. Paul says that's the way it was for him. He says in Romans chapter 7, the good that I know is not what I do. The evil that I don't want to do, that's exactly what I do. He cries out at that point, what a wretched man I am. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And then he goes on to say that what the law couldn't do and what he, Paul, couldn't do, Christ could do and Christ did do. What saved Paul was not the law from Sinai, but the love from Calvary. And that is why in the first verse of Romans 8, Paul could say, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There it is. We need to be converted. We need to be born again to newness of life. We need to begin to live in all of the goodness of God's grace. We need to set aside faithless fear and foolish pride which tempt us to a greedy, grasping spirit in life. And therefore, the Tenth Commandment, taken in the context of the Christ, calls us to repent, to turn, to turn away from that desire that is inordinate, improper, and so deadly and instead to turn to the loving, healing, forgiving, redeeming, amazing grace of God in Jesus Christ. Dear friends, you and I are living in a world which says the thing to do is get, get, get. And our God says it is more blessed to give than to receive. We are living in a world which says, push other people down so that you can climb to the top. And our God says, we are members one of another. The world says, possessions are what make you happy. Your greatness is revealed by what you have. And our God says, let those who are greatest among you be the servants of all. Dear friends, when the law of God is heard and heeded in a life, when the love of Calvary flows down into a life, then that person's heart is filled. That person's fists are unclenched. And that person's spirit begins to soar. 
for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There it is. Simple as I know how to say it. The only cure to covetousness is Christ. So, I come to the end of these sermons on the ten for our time. I'd like to finish with this. Lloyd Douglas, the great writer, the author of the noted novel, The Robe, had a friend who was a violinist. And this violinist had a one-room studio in a building filled with other one-room studios. One day, Lloyd Douglas went to visit his friend in his studio, and when Lloyd Douglas walked into that one-room studio, he said to the violinist, Well, what is the good news for today? The violinist immediately put down his violin. He walked over to the center of the room where there was a tuning fork suspended from the ceiling by a silken thread. He picked up a little mallet and he struck that tuning fork. And then he said, the good news for today is that is an A. That was an A a thousand years ago. That was an A yesterday. That is an A today. That will be an A tomorrow. That will be an A a thousand years from now. That is the good news for today. The soprano on the upper floor sings flat. The tenor across the hall can't hit the right notes. The piano in the studio next door needs to be tuned. I am surrounded on every hand by noise, noise, and more noise. But the good news is that is an A, and I can count on that every single day. Ha! That is also true of the Ten Commandments. God's law and God's love are like that A. They are permanent. They never change. We can depend upon them always. God's law convicts us of sin. God's love converts us from sin. And therefore, when we decide to walk with God from this day on, when we decide to open our hearts to God in Jesus Christ, then we shall discover that God has already opened his heart to us. And then, by God's grace, you and I can live every single day like children of the King. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Amen.
and amen.